Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. For Troy, you can grab a seat. If you're at home, you're probably already sitting down with your comfy pants on, eating popcorn right now. Let's say somebody came over to your house, somebody that was kind of important, and you were trying to show the family, describe your family to them a little bit. Is there something in the house that you would use to kind of show off the family heirloom, the family treasure? For, for you in your family, is it material like there is a thing that everybody in the house knows that right there is the treasure of the family? Maybe it's monetary. But chances are, for most of us, it's not an object in your home. It's probably something attached to your last name, right? Maybe you come from a family that there was a person in your history that really made an impact and really, really changed the community or made a difference for other people. Maybe there's somebody with your last name and people recognize your last name and they think about this teacher or they think about this leader or maybe it's a baker or maybe it's a homemaker. But everybody in town, when they hear that last name, they think about that person because of the influence that that person has had on your community. All of us have some kind of family history, family tradition, and chances are You have a family treasure. Well, did you know that God also has a family and God also has a family treasure? And if you were to go up into the throne room of God right now, you would see the elders around the throne worshiping and praising Jesus like we just did and giving glory to God in heaven. You would see the angels and the spiritual beings that's up there. But if you were to ask, hey, God, of all of the people in creation, of all of the elements in the universe that you created, what is your greatest treasure? I think his answer is going to be this, and we're going to prepare our hearts to hear from John chapter 13 today. The Bible is going to convince you, you, the son or the daughter of the living God, who's been purchased by the blood of Jesus, you are his greatest treasure. And John chapter 13 is going to prove to you, if you don't feel it, if it doesn't seem like he's working in your life, just like Pastor Troy prayed a moment ago, I need you to know that you're still his treasure. If you've made some mistakes, if you are, uh, if you committed some sins, if there's some things that you did this week that you're ashamed of, I need you to know that you are welcome back into the arms of your great God and King. He loves you and he's ready to receive you back unto himself. And by the time we wrap this service up, the pinnacle of this service, I hope for you is going to be going to a meal with your father and your brothers and sisters in Christ and sharing in communion today as a way of reminding our soul that we are loved and accepted by the King of Kings and we are God's family treasure. So I'm going to try to prove this to you. Actually, I don't have to prove it to you because the Bible is going to prove it to you 
from John chapter 13. If you're new to our church, we have been studying systematically through the Bible book of John, and today we start looking at chapter 13, and today is really a big transition point in this book. Jesus now starts to prepare his people for his departure, and he's going to explain something to them. Actually, he's going to put his love on display in a scandalous, humiliating way just to go to the extreme to remind his people how much he loves them. And I want you to see what goes along with becoming part of God's family. I want you to see the benefits of being God's treasured possession and adopted into the family of the most high God and the king of kings. And the first thing that I need you to know is that you are accepted completely in spite of your mistakes, in spite of your failures. For somebody who's tuned in and watching this broadcast for the first time, if you have never been to church, if you don't know the first thing about Christianity, I need you to understand what happens when a man or a woman is adopted into the family of God. Our mistakes, our failures, our messed up past and all. And what I need you to understand is that love is the glue that's going to hold the family together. And the love of Jesus is put on display vividly and powerfully today. The first verse alone in this chapter, I really should slow down. I really should have done an entire sermon on just this one verse because what you see in this verse really tells you all you need to know about the way that God loves his people. I want you to hear what the Bible has to say about the love of God from John chapter 13, just verse one. Listen to this. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Now, by the way, I mentioned just a second ago that we meet in the Chattahoochee Valley, the cities of Columbus, Georgia, and Phoenix City, Alabama. But don't make the mistake of thinking that's where the name Two Cities comes from. It's not Georgia and Alabama. It's actually the two cities that you see on the screen. Jesus belongs to our first and most important city, the eternal city, the heavenly city. But he's living on this earthly city just temporarily, this here and now city. And all of Jesus's people are citizens of these two cities at the same time here and heaven and the goal of this church is to just help you be good citizens of both of these cities at the same time let me go back and read this again before the Passover festival Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the father Having loved his own, and by the way, those two words are family language. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. Say the next three words out loud. He loved them to the end. What the Bible is describing here is beautiful, it's powerful. In fact, this may be some of the most significant language in the entire book of John about how Jesus loves You've had 12 chapters up to this point of Jesus demonstrating his love by doing things, putting on miracles and changing people's lives and forgiving and accepting somebody into God's family who was never accepted before. And now what you're going to hear is Jesus describing how much God loves his people and then Jesus putting the ultimate demonstration on of God's love, his sacrificial death 
and his bodily resurrection on the cross before he returns to the Father. And when the Bible says he loved his own, look up here, child of God. He's talking about you. The Bible is saying because God loved you, because God didn't want to leave you alone and isolated, he accepted you, adopted you into his family. And when Jesus loved, the Bible wants to go to great lengths today. John doesn't want you to miss this. When he loved you, he didn't just love you when stuff was going right and when you were a good girl or a good boy. No, Jesus loved his own until the end. And if that language doesn't sit with you right now, let me just remind you of what every teenage girl on the planet asks herself from time to time. If I show him who he really is, if I become really vulnerable and really open to my boyfriend, will he still love me tomorrow? What every guy on a sports team, what every human being who opens up and shows the deepest recesses of who they are. They all have this vulnerable minute. Like if I do this, if I show you what's really going on inside of me, would you turn your back on me? Would you walk away from me when you learn the junk that's in my life? Will you love me tomorrow is the question that everybody asks before they open themselves up. And what the Bible is saying is that Jesus knows his disciples intimately. He knows their junk He knows their mistakes, their failures, and he didn't turn his back on them, and he didn't bolt on them when they messed up. In fact, he loved them until the end, and the till the end language, I had to go back and do some research today because I wasn't actually sure what this meant. I wasn't sure, are we talking about to the full and completely, or are we talking about time? Like until the end of time, the end of Jesus's life. So I was going back and doing a little bit of study, and the Bible scholars, the guys that really, really understand the original language, said it's both. He loves you absolutely and completely, and there's no way that he could possibly love you more. And by the way, the proof that he loves you completely, that you're accepted completely, is the fact that he doesn't bolt on you. When you don't do right, he doesn't walk away when you mess up and when you make a mistake. He loved his own brothers and sisters, Jesus does, until the end, not of his life, but until the end of time as we know it. You are accepted by the God of the universe. And I'm glad somebody in this room, I hope at your house, you're shouting hallelujah right now, but I'm glad somebody in this room said amen. The next thing that I think I need you to understand about becoming part of a different family and showing off that you're God's family treasure is to remind yourself this. You probably need to remind yourself this week that you are held securely by the love of God, not by your good efforts and not by your good deeds. In fact, I'm just going to say it this way, and it's not designed to rub you the wrong way, but I think I just need to remind you, in the heavenly family, you don't wear the pants. God wears the pants in this family. And God is in charge. God makes the decisions. God is the one who is captain of your destiny. God is the one who is directing your life and your future. And if you trust your father is a good, good father, then you have nothing to fear and nothing to worry about. But if you view your father in heaven, 
the way your jacked up father on earth is, maybe that freaks you out a little bit. And chances are what it will prompt you to do is to want to take control and want to hold on and make your own decisions and decide how life is going to go. You call the shots. That's natural. It's actually part of human nature. It comes along from our first parents when they decided, I want to make the decisions about my family, not God. And so they committed the first sin ever when they rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And now you and I decide, I want to make the decisions, not God. I want to call the shots. And we keep doing what our first parents did. Jesus demonstrates how much he holds you in the palm of his hand. And when you have the king of kings holding you in the palm of your hands, you got nothing to worry about. And the vivid demonstration here is the one who was following Jesus and then turned around and walked away. Specifically, Judas Iscariot. If you're asking yourself, how is it possible that that guy was following Jesus and saw all of these miracles and still turns around and walks away, John is going to answer this question for you with family language. Here's what the Bible says next, starting in verse 2. Now, when it was time for supper, and if I can pause for just a second, this is the zenith of Jesus's ministry. This is the greatest holiday of the year. This is the high point of his ministry. This should be the greatest moment of Jesus's life. Literally, this should be the greatest moment of his life on earth, but it's not because there is a jerk in the room that's going to ruin the whole thing. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Now look at what the Bible says next. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything. Say the word everything out loud. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. Wait a second. What about Judas? That he had come from God and that he was going back to God. I'm going to leave this on the screens for just a second because there's a couple of interesting things that I really want to point out about Judas and his relationship to Jesus. In fact, I really struggled with this question for a long time. I'm going to ask you to struggle with this question out loud. How many of you in this room believe that when Judas was selling Jesus out for a little bit of money and betraying the king of kings, he knew he was an instrument in the hand of Satan. How many of you in this room, go ahead and say it out loud, believe that Judas knew what he was doing? Because what the Bible says is Judas intentionally goes to the religious leaders. He deliberately asks them for money. He says, I will turn over the one you're looking for. I'll sell them out to you if you'll just give me a little bit of cash. And I'm not sure that Judas really understood what was happening at the soul level when he was doing that, but there's no question that he learned it after the fact. Because what the Bible says next is that Judas is sorry, that Judas tries to make it right by going back and trying to give the money back, but of course those religious leaders, they're not gonna touch that dirty money. You did a dirty deed and I'm not touching that money. And Judas hates himself so much for it that he can't live with himself anymore. If this was 2022, it would be prescription pills, but Judas just takes a rope, goes to a high tree and decides, I gotta kill myself. I cannot live 
with what I just did. What happened to Judas's heart? Well, that all hangs on the word put. You see, what that word really says is that Satan threw something into Jesus or Judas's soul, and Judas just blindly, naively followed his heart and did what seemed right in his soul, not knowing that he was right in the palm of Satan's grip when he was doing that and betraying the perfect, innocent son of God. Do I got your attention? Good. Because every soul on the planet, I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying this because it's true. Every single soul on the planet is somewhere in one of these two categories. You're either in the grip of God through the blood of his son, Jesus, and your soul belongs to him because it's been made new, it's been made clean, and it is held secure. Or you're in the grip of Satan, and maybe like Judas, you don't even, need, you don't even know it until it's too late. And you're just doing what seems natural. You're just doing what feels right, not knowing that the heart is wrong. And as long as the heart is wrong, following a wrong heart is always going to lead to the wrong results. And Judas is just doing what comes natural. And what Jesus is going to say about this incident in just a moment today is that the reason why Judas did this it's because Judas, look up here for a second, was never really part of the family in the first place. He was a follower. And by the way, everybody else in the room, if you read the other accounts of the Last Supper and the betrayal of Jesus, they don't even know that Judas is betraying him when he leaves. Jesus and Judas are the only two that know. He's fooled everybody in the room, but he hadn't fooled Jesus. And Jesus knows Everybody who's mine, I got in the palm of my hand. The reason why Judas is leaving and going to sell me out is because he was never mine in the first place. I have a chance to teach um, pastors sometimes when I teach seminary students, and they have been lamenting over the last year and a half or two years a phenomenon that's true, I think, of every church on the planet, not just in America, every church on the planet. There is a category of people that are no longer there because of COVID. And what these pastors struggle with publicly in the classroom is, I lost some people, and they haven't come back. And a year and a half ago, they held out hope that when, when, the, when enough people are vaccinated, when the, when the numbers start to drop, they're going to come back. But now what they've all got to the point of realizing is, you know what? Nothing is bringing them back. They're not in church, and it has nothing to do with COVID. They're not in church anymore from a different reason. And I have to stand in front of these pastors, and I have to give them both the good news and the bad news of COVID and the people that are not there anymore. Here's what I tell them. Hey, the bad news is your numbers are down a little bit and that hurts and I'm sorry. But the good news is those people that are not here anymore, and I just say it as bluntly to them as possible because I want to minister to them. They're not part of your church anymore because they never were. 
They were never really committed, and they finally found the excuse that caused them to say, that's it, I'm done, I ain't going back anymore. And they blame it on COVID, but the truth is, it's actually at the soul level that they're not there anymore. So if you're getting upset, pastor, don't. God just did you a favor by weeding out the weeds and by causing some people not to show up anymore who were never really part of the group in the first place. And still they look at me with pain in their eyes. And so I point to Jesus and to Judas and say, imagine what it felt like for Jesus, the perfect leader, when Judas bolts on him. But Jesus knows he was never really one of us. He was never really part of the family in the first place. And Christian, hear me. It's not your good efforts. It's not your hard work. It's not your religious deeds that make you acceptable to the Father. That is the reason why he adopted you into the family. That's not why you're part of the family in the first place. He brought you into his family just because he loves you. And he's holding you in the family in the palm of his hand. Thank you. Somebody needs to say hallelujah because this says it's not what I do that makes me right with God. It's because he loves me and because he wants a relationship with me that I'm held in the Father's hand. And it's not my good deeds. It's the deeds of Jesus Christ that hold me securely. And as much as I can trust the hand that holds me, I can trust that I am safe in the family of God because of the hand that holds me, not because of what I do. And I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that. Because if you feel a little bit dirty, if you've made some mistakes, if you've got a past and a history that's associated with your last name because of some mistakes that you made in this cancel culture that you can't outlive for the rest of your life, I got some good news for you. It comes directly from what the Bible says next. You have been made absolutely and completely clean. You have been purified by the blood of Jesus and not by anything you've done, but by what's done for you. Jesus does something next that left such an impact on John when Jesus did this that John made sure you heard about it. In fact, it left such an impact, such a scandal that all of the gospel writers in the New Testament want you to know about this event when Jesus humiliates himself to demonstrate how much he loves God's family. Listen to how this passage wraps up today. We're going to start in verse 4. So he, Jesus, got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. And by now, all of the disciples in the room are starting to get a little bit embarrassed about what Jesus is doing because this is the Passover festival. This is the greatest moment of the year. This is Thanksgiving and Christmas and the 4th of July all rolled up into one. Jesus, what are you doing? Next, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. 
Now listen, this was so radical and so scandalous that look at how Peter reacts to this incident. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, it's supposed to be the other way around. And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter replied. Like this is so wrong that I can't allow this to happen. And then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Please Look up here and hear me for a second. We are not talking just about dust from a Palestinian trail right now. We're talking about the human soul. If I don't wash you, you have no part from me. And Simon Peter got it because he said to him, Lord, not my feet, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus replies, the one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. And that's what Jesus is offering today, for somebody to be made completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Anybody want to guess who that's a reference to? Well, the Bible is going to tell you, for he knew who would betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Can we go back for just a second? Anybody who has been washed is part of me. And if you haven't been washed, you're, no, you're not part of me. And the reason why Judas could bolt and betray Jesus is because he was never really part of him in the first place. His soul had never been radically cleaned by Jesus Christ. And that's why Judas could follow his selfish heart, just doing what's very natural, and become the ultimate tool of Satan. In fact, every single time Judas's name is mentioned in the Bible, look it up, every single time, it always includes this description, He's the guy who betrayed Jesus. In Roman culture in Jesus' day, this act was so scandalous, it was so humiliating that not long after Jesus' death, the Roman emperor Caligula, when he wanted to shame and embarrass somebody from his court, court, he would make them put on a towel and come to the head table and wash his feet in front of everybody. And everyone in the room was sick to their stomach with the shame and the humiliation. It was that bad in Roman culture. But in Jewish culture, it was worse. You see, in Jewish culture, if you got yourself into trouble financially and you got in debt and you couldn't pull, pay that debt back, you would become like a household servant and you would work in a household of another Jewish family to pay off your debt. But this act of washing somebody's feet was so lowly, so humiliating that the Jews didn't let a Jewish household servant wash somebody else's feet. You had to be a non-Jewish slave or you, or before you could wash somebody else's feet. And Jesus gets up from the, what he should have been sitting at the head table. He should have been the center of attention. He should have had all of the praise and all of the attention of the disciples. And instead he does this most lowly and this most humiliating act. And John even tells us, we didn't get it, 
Peter didn't understand what's going on. It seemed so scandalous and so wrong that Peter's like, no, uh-uh, we're not doing this, Jesus. And only later did John, who got his feet washed by Jesus, realize what was happening. I was... Uh, I had the privilege of seeing a, a new leader take over this very large Christian ministry, lots of people, huge budget, lots and lots of influence. And the first day on the job, the leader decided, I really want to leave a lasting impact on the team that I lead. So they called the, 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 you know, the big leaders in the room, and this leader humbled himself, got down, took a basin, and washed the feet of everybody in that room. I kept thinking to myself, that's a little bit embarrassing. It's a little bit awkward for everybody in the room right now. Until I started thinking about what this passage is saying. Then it occurred to me, oh, that's so cute. What you're doing is trying to describe yourself as a servant and being willing to serve the people that you lead. But that's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is showing the sacrifice that it's going to take for my dirty soul to be clean. And apart from that sacrifice, there is no hope for a dirty soul. So Jesus physically demonstrates what he's about to spiritually do on the cross. You can't purchase adoption. You can't earn your way into somebody else's family. And you also can't clean up sins and your mistakes and your failures. It doesn't work like that. In fact, if you wanted to earn your way into God's family, if you wanted to earn your way into heaven, what it would take is 100% moral perfection for your entire life. And none of us in this room, nobody on planet earth can pull that one off. So Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth and becomes the sacrificial payment for your sins to clean you up. And I need you to know that he cleans you completely, that he accepts you totally, and that he holds you right in the palm of his hand. And now you have a new family. Now it's no longer just your surname, just your last name that you represent. This week, when you go out into your community, when you go out into your workplace or at school, you're actually representing your father in heaven as well as your family name. There are two families that God's people represent. I was looking this up. In fact, I'm going to do this with you. It, just work with me for a second here. Um, Tennyson describes, uh, the famous British poet, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson, describes the oath that knights used to take when they were knighted and accepted into the king's service. And it's basically four very short, very simple phrases. I'm going to ask you to repeat these phrases out loud because of how powerful they are. Here's what Tennyson said. Every knight who has ever been in the service, or I want to use this language, in the family of the king of kings, they would take this oath today. The first part of the oath says this, live pure. Say this, live pure. The second part is speak truth. Say that word or say that. The third part says right the wrong. And then the last part says follow the king. Live pure, speak the truth, right the wrong, 
follow the king. And then the oath ends this way. Else why for born? This is the reason why you were born and you live in the kingdom. So that you would live pure and speak truth and right wrong and follow the king. And by the way, because you're a knight, everything that you do now is going to represent your king. And if you don't do those things, what this oath is essentially saying is you're missing the reason why you exist on planet earth in the first place. And I think it's the perfect description of being part of the family of God. My job this week, your job this week, is to represent your family well. So maybe you should pray this week that God would give you a chance to make his name famous to somebody that you're going to run into who doesn't know Jesus, maybe doesn't like Jesus, maybe he's got an issue with Jesus because of something Jesus' people have done to him or to her, and you can be the advocate, you can be the person that tries to restore some hurt feelings there. Maybe you get an opportunity this week to go put your faith on display by just serving somebody that's genuinely in need No, not even to the extent that Jesus served you or served his disciples, but you're serving others because of the fact that you have been served. One of the core values of our church, what makes us who we are, is that we are people that love fiercely. And I'm going to wrap this sermon up this way. We love fiercely because we have been fiercely loved by God. And so it's only natural that we would love other people fiercely. But it's impossible to try to love others fiercely if you haven't already been fiercely loved by the King of Kings, by the Most High God. And maybe you're listening to this while you're driving and you're thinking, I need to be adopted into the family of God. Maybe you're watching this broadcast online right now and you're sitting in a hotel room and you made some mistakes this week and you regret those mistakes and you wish they would go away, but you know there's nothing you can do to undo them. In just a second, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that you would reach out and ask God to accept you and adopt you into his family for the first time today. And you would come totally and completely vulnerable and open asking him to clean you up and to change you. For God's people, I really pray for his sons and daughters that this week you will find a way to put your family, your eternal family on display. But I really believe that there are a couple of you that feel dirty and made some mistakes and you're trying to undo those mistakes and ultimately you're hoping to earn God's love again. If nothing else, I hope that you've been overwhelmed by this sermon today with how much he loves you. And you leave here today thinking, I don't have to do anything to earn his love. He has loved me in a way that I don't deserve. And he keeps loving me. These three words, to the end. And I'm just... We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.